0: Thanks guys, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be back in this venue. It's much nicer than it was in the old days, believe me. You've actually got some lighting. It used to be dark and depressing, and, uh, but we had some times in here. Uh, and uh, when, uh, when I contacted Ants coming back from Brazil, and just he was confirming I hadn't forgot, forgotten that I was here, I said, you know, what, what do you want me to share on? Is there anything in particular? And he said, yeah, can you share on rest? So I prepared that, but I'm actually feeling to share, is it okay? I felt like to share something of my story with you today to encourage you that God does indeed use the foolish things of the world. That's my story. (laughs) It really is. Um and, I, you know, it's like when you want to tell your story, you've got to choose when you're as old as I am, you've got to choose which, which parts of the story to tell. But I guess, you know, where things radically began to shift for me was um, as, I, as I was a teenager and I was growing up and I'd had prophetic words about God wanting you to use me in ministry and as an elder, and I'm going, nah, not a chance. You've got to be crazy to want to be an elder. And I kind of still agree with that. <laughs> that's a, that's, that still holds. But I spent years running away and running away. And uh, God just kept disciplining me. He didn't let me get what I wanted from the world, which was riches and success. And eventually I got so desperate. I'm like, okay, God, what do you want from me? Uh, I'll, I'll figure out. And I, did, I, I made a deal with God. You don't really make deals with God. You think you're making a deal. So I'll give you a year to figure out what I should be doing with my life. And uh, I ended up coming to South Africa. And that's coming up to my 30th, and can you believe, 30 years ago. So old friends from Bible college. (laughs) Um, Long-standing friends, not old friends. (laughs) And so in January of 1994... I left England to come to South Africa. Now, those of you who were old enough will understand how crazy people thought I was coming to South Africa in January of 1994, just before two months before the first democratic elections. Everybody was convinced there was gonna be war. People were telling me I was stupid, it wasn't safe. I think I was the only white guy trying to get in the country. Yes crushed by the, the, the rush of white guys trying to leave South Africa. And I remember saying at the time, I've got to go because God's told me to go. And so it's the safest place I can possibly be. And I might intertwine, intertwine a little bit about rest here and how we serve Jesus in the long run because this is a marathon, not a sprint. And, and I, Psalm 23, I think everybody loves But I love Psalm 23, you know, and we all like the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You know, and that's wonderful news, right? And then He restores my soul. So where do we rest? Where do we get that restoration that we need? We get it in the presence of Jesus. But what we don't like is the next verse that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear not evil. Now, what was David doing in the valley of the shadow of death? The Lord was leading him through it. Sometimes in order to get to our place of restoration, sometimes to get to our quiet streams, sometimes to get to our green pastures, we have to be led through the valley of the shadow of death. And on the face of it, coming to South Africa was a stupid decision. it's where I found rest and restoration because that's where Jesus wanted me to be and as we go on leave what I want to encourage you is don't take leave from God you've got many of us have got extra hours in the day over December and one of the common complaints I have from believers is I just don't have enough time in the day for God well don't just be idle Allow him to restore your souls. Because there's input and there's output. And rest is about a lot more than just doing nothing. Yeah? It's about being restored. It's about being filled up. It's being about being prepared. It's about investing for the time ahead. And so follow Jesus wherever he leads. And so I ended up suffering for, for the gospel in White River. Up near Nelsprate for, for three years. Um... And I came for one year. That was the deal. And 30 years later, I'm still here. The scary thing is my eldest daughter has just turned 20. She's now going to the Isle of Man for a year in a couple of weeks' time. And her plan is to go for a one year. And I'm like, we might never see her again. (laughs) And so I graduated um, from Bible college. And uh, I'd been given... a. Uh, a number of offers of ministry positions, you know, a couple of churches that wanted me to come and take over, but none of them felt right. The, the principal of the college, Jeff Milan, who incredible guy, I spoke to him and he, he gave me good counsel and said, Mike, this, this thing will kill you, don't do it. And so I left Bible college with no ministry position, nothing. I got married a week Young men, I do not recommend this. This is just how God did it with me. This is not the way to do it. I got married a week after graduation. I didn't have a job. I had no money. I had no possessions. My wife paid for her own engagement ring and her own honeymoon. Wow. I mean, I'm worth it. I know, but... <laughs> <laughs> but something had shifted. And whilst I, I didn't have ministry position to go into, I knew I had to go and get a job. My priority was kingdom, not success. And success had evaded me for years and years and years in England, and I'd worked hard. I'd worked really hard to be successful, and nothing had worked. I got back from honeymoon. The day my wife went into work, there was somebody fixing a phone system. She said to him, does your company need any salespeople? Because my husband used to sell these things, and he's looking for a job. That same day, I was offered a job. It was a commission-only sales job. Anybody work commission-only? It sucks, right? Because <laughs> you, start, you start the week paying for the privilege of working, right? <laughs> and I thought, well, it may not be ideal, but a man who doesn't work doesn't eat. And God, you're my provider. And within six months, I was the national sales manager of that company. And I was the same person. Success that had evaded me for years was suddenly there. Because I'd learned to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then things were added. And when it comes to rest, that's another principle that we need to learn. That we can get so busy building our houses. Building our lives. Building our careers. And the Lord says, "Build, seek first the kingdom of God. And everything you need will be added to you. And maybe you'll have less money. I'm not saying if you put God first, you'll be more successful in the world. You might not be, but you'll be more successful in heaven's eyes. And the things that you desire that aren't of God, it's better that you don't have them. Because all these things that the world thinks brings satisfaction and relaxation and rest don't. I mean, I can guarantee if I did a survey here and said, Financially, what would make your life, if everyone here would probably say, well, if I just had 5,000 Rand a month more, I wouldn't have to worry. <laughs> big, money, big, big money, big problems. I think it was uh, Rockefeller when he was the richest man in the world, and he had a payphone installed in his home so that guests, if they wanted to make a phone call, had to use a payphone. And then somebody said to him, how much is enough? And he said, a little bit more. Because the things of this world never satisfy. You will never find your rest in the things of this world. You'll never find the satisfaction. You'll never find peace in the things of this world. And so I was doing quite well. National sales manager, bringing in multi-million rand deals. Ended up, God moved us to Cape Town, and that's where we joined Josh, Jan. And God humbled me because I'd I'd done three years of Bible college, and you know I, I, I don't wish to blow my own trumpet, but I'd finished top of my class. I'd won an end of year award for leadership and for public ministry and all of that. Like, hey, you you can preach, you can lead, you can, you're amazing. And uh, after I'd been in Cape Town for a while looking for a church, I hadn't found a church that we could really give ourselves to. We ended up visiting Josh Jem when it was about five weeks old. And I walked in and this place was crazy. You think we're crazy now? No, no, no. We were crazy back then. Uh, we were meeting at the Bloberg Life Saving Club, we walked, up, walked up the stairs, and the first thing I saw was somebody on a Jemby with dreads, looking stoned. And to be honest, he may well have been, (laughs) looking back. And uh, I remember Andrew preaching, and he had his hair down to here, which wasn't a problem for me. I've had my hair down to here as well. Um, But he started preaching, and I was not impressed. Seriously. He got his Bible stories mixed up and his Bible characters mixed up. You know, he's like... He was all over the place. You know, his famous line, I'm going off my notes. It's like, why do you even tell us that? We just assume you're not sticking to your notes by now. And he'd be busy. He he always had this habit of scratching himself like in the middle of his preaching. He did everything wrong. Everything that we've been trained not to do, he did. I'm like, I'm not sure this guy knows what he's doing. And then at the end of his preach. He asked for a response for salvation. And three people responded. I'm like, God, what's going on here? Because, like, I've won awards for my preaching, and nobody gets saved when I preach. And I realized he had something I needed. Because it isn't about how qualified we are, how well-equipped we are, how well-trained we are, how intelligent we are, how long we've been saved. I remember, Andrew, you know, you got. I waited so long for God to do this in me you know I'd been saved 18 months and I'm like bro <laughs> you have no idea what long is <laughs> but he had something and God joined us to Josh Jan because they had the same heart the same values the same the same passion for Jesus and the church, and I knew that I needed to to learn from this guy, and it wasn't that long before I got my first learning lesson when Andrew came for supper, and just in case you think, you know, those of us at the top, you know, some people, we're we're not at the top, but those of you at the top, you, you get the privilege of seeing Andrew all the time. I think I've had supper with Andrew about five times in my life outside of meetings, okay? Many pizzas with him in eldership meetings. Our eldership meetings used to be on a Sunday evening after church. We'd start at 10 p.m. and go on till 2, and then go to work the next day. It was a price. So he came to my house for supper, and, you know, we were chatting and shooting the breeze, and then just as he was about to leave, it was about 10 o'clock and he needs to leave, then he says, oh, let's now talk about why I'm here. Have you ever had that, like, Somebody comes to see you, you you have supper, you spend the whole night chatting, and then at 10 o'clock, just as they're about to leave, oh, there's a reason I'm here. (laughs) And he said to me, how would you feel about leading a community? And I said to him, and this is an honest quote, you can ask him, I said to him, I would rather be slowly stung to death by killer bees. (laughs) I said, I have no desire to lead a community. I don't. I don't want all the mess. People. I, I love people in theory, and I love people because it's a commandment. But in practice, and having to no, I'm. I'm not. I'm not very pastoral. I'm still not the greatest pastor in the world. I'm not very pastoral. I, I don't think I'd I do a good job of it. And he said this to me, he said, Mike, I've heard you preach, I've heard you teach, and you're a good teacher, but there's something that's preventing you walking in the fullness of your gift, which is learning to love people, and if you don't learn to love people, you'll never be the preacher that God's called you to be, because people don't care how much you know, they want to know how much you care, I'm like, okay, okay. I'll do you a deal, I said. Here's the deal. I'll do it because you're asking me. But when it's a disaster, you take responsibility. You can fix the mess that I make. He said, okay. And in that moment, that that was a key moment in my life in terms of adjusting who I was. And one of the things we can fall into is, this is who God made me. And sometimes we're blaming God for what we've done ourselves. A lot of who I was, I made. I developed habits. I developed preferences. I don't tell people I'm an introvert anymore. What I say is my tendency and my preference is to be introverted. But Jesus has called me to be like him. And so there's a lifelong process of training myself to be more like him. And so I began to lead this com. And you know what? It was a disaster. It grew to a maximum of, I think at its biggest, it was 10 people. And at one point, three of those people were under church dis- some form of church discipline at the same time. I look back, and out of all the people in that community... The number of people who are still in Josh Jen is two. That's me and Chantel. (laughs) Worst community leader Josh Jen has ever seen. So let that be an encouragement to all of you. And then uh, at some point, we closed down communities for a season because they'd become very meeting-orientated instead of relationship-oriented. So Andrew closed them down for a while and that was my way out. That's my freedom. I think maybe he closed down all of the communities in Just Gen just, so that, just to rescue those guys from me, but anyway. Some months later we'd started comms again and uh, there was a couple in Meltbus that were leading a community and really struggling in the marriage. So in a leaders meeting Andrew said, hey we We've got this couple, they're really struggling in the marriage, they need some support, they need somebody to come alongside them and lead the community for them for a short while until their marriage is restored. Is there anybody who who can go? And I went, I know I'm the last guy you want to to go, but I'm willing. He said, okay, Mike, go. And so I went and I led that community for six months in Meltbus. And in six months, we grew by zero people. (laughs) One person added and one person left. But, you know, equilibrium. And so, again, no track record of success, no superstar, no anointed man of God, just, just me. Then we handed back to the couple and they were doing okay. And a few months later, We're in another leaders' meeting. Andrew said, we've got this whole bunch of guys from Durbanville. We're traveling through every Sunday and every Wednesday to our meetings. And I'm feeling we need to have a community group in Durbanville for those guys. We need to, so that they can actually live community and not be driving all this way for meetings. Is there anybody that will go? Andrew, I'm the last person you should send. But if you want me to go, I'm willing. And he said, okay, Matt, you go. But he was a bit smarter this time. And he said, you go. He said, Stephen Cathy Corkill, can you go with him? <laughs> and so we came and, and we started a community and we started meeting in Barry and Bardeen's Hall's Home. does anybody remember Barry and Bardeen? Was it, yeah? Amazing couple. And we started with about 20 people, and after about three months, we'd grown to eight. <laughs> and that eight was myself, my wife, my baby girl, who's now 20, Barry and Bardeen, who were hosting, and two other people. Actually, it grew to seven. But yeah, I'm the worst community leader ever. Hopefully, some of you community leaders are feeling a lot better about yourselves now. I went to Andrew. I said, Andrew, you've got to find somebody else to do this. I'm killing this thing much longer and there will be nothing left. And he looked at me and said, no, Mark, God's pruning. Don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you do." And I carried on. And slowly people started getting added. And a while later we were 40 or 50 people and we had to split into two communities. And I handed over to other people and then we planted Josh Jen's first congregation with those people. And now we look at Durbanville, we've not got just you beautiful people here. We've got Pinehurst, we've got Durbanville PM in Aurora, and I think there's going to be more. God is doing incredible things. And not only that, but the people who were in Durbanville, many of them are, are in other places. Barry and Bardeen are in uh, PE, we've got Ga- Stephen Cathia leading in Mossel Bay. And I was the same person. And so often, we get into a striving mentality because we think our success or our human perceived success is down to us. And yes, we're in partnership. It's not like we can be idle and we'll be successful, but actually, it's about God. And He's not looking for the most gifted, He's not looking for the most intelligent, He's not looking for, for the most charismatic, He's looking for the most willing. And as we take a break, rest well. Because in the new year, God's got big things for this congregation. And what he's going to be looking for is people who are willing. And you may feel disqualified, unable, inexperienced, unspiritual. How you feel is irrelevant. You know, I remember as a young man, hearing a preach on, um, we're one body with many parts. And I went home, and I thought, well, the Bible says this, and it says it multiple times. It's Romans 12, it's 1 Corinthians 12, in Ephesians 4, it talks about different grace gifts, and we're one body with many parts. I've, my responsibility is to figure out what part of the body I am. And so I started trying to figure it out. Am I... Am I the heart that just loves people? No, definitely not. Am I, am I the eyes that can see and, and have... In, no, no. Am, am I the ears that can hear this, the whispers? No. Am I the feet, you know, the, with the, the gospel that, you know, the... the, the yeah. Am I, am I the hands that's... I'm like, no. And, and I was taking all the parts of the body off one by one. And I came to this conclusion as a young man. I'm the appendix. (laughs) See, the appendix is nobody's quite sure what it does. (laughs) You pay no attention to it till it gives you trouble, and then you remove it as quickly as possible. And I thought I was the appendix. I thought I had nothing to offer. You know, I, I looked around and I, I had a scholarship to a very fancy school where, you know, there, were, there was an international chess grandmaster who ended up playing in the World Championship Finals at chess. He had his thing. You know, we had prof- people who went on to be pre- professional sports players and top academics and all kinds of things. Um, and everybody had their thing, right? Some guys were really good looking. Some guys were really funny. Some guys were really clever. Some guys were really sporty. And then there was me. And I was, I was a nobody with nothing to offer. I, honestly, if I went back to a, I never walked back into that school the day after my final exam. But if I went back, I don't think people would even know who I was or remember. It's like, I don't think you came to this school. I was a nobody. And I genuinely had nothing to offer. But I was able to say, God, you can have my nothing. And I'm not being falsely humble here. If, if you want some evidence, I can go through my life. I mean, it's like, I wasn't captain of any team because I wasn't on any team. I had no friends. Like, literally, I'm not, I had no friends at school. I had nothing to offer, nothing to give, nothing of value in and of myself, but I was willing, and even when it comes to the subject of rest, you know, even if we think we've had something to offer, even if we've been working hard, sometimes we come to that place and we say, I can't do it anymore, I've got nothing left to give, anybody been there? I remember being on a weekend away with Andrew, an elders weekend, and it was a powerful time, you know, ministry and prophecy and the whole thing, and everybody's like, whoa. And the last uh, session together, Andrew said, let's go around the room. How's this weekend been for you? And the first person like, oh, this has been life-changing. It's been so amazing. I just feel like I can run through a wall. And then the next person, oh, this has been amazing. And, and And then it comes to me. How's this? I said, it's been terrible. Why? I said, because the more you talk, the more I think I can't do this anymore. But here's the problem. Jesus asked me to do it. So I can't stop either. I can't not do it, but I feel like I can't do it. Have any of you ever felt that way? Even let alone ministry, even with salvation. Even your relationship with Jesus. I don't know if I can do this anymore, but where else will I go? It's like in John 6, Jesus said, are you going to leave me? Where else are we going to go? And at those times, it's not necessarily wrong to say, I've got nothing left to give. As long as we then back that up with, but you can have my nothing. I've got no energy left. I'm exhausted. My kids are driving me to distraction. I feel like I've got no time, no energy. I feel like I, I I, I feel like, I was thinking about this last night, about, have you ever wondered like, Jesus, why don't I love you more? Like, if I really understood what you did, it's like, I'd be a lot more in love than I am. Do you know what? I, I, I do love him, but it's like, do I really? And we often, that's the reality of this battle with the flesh. And our rest, and our peace, and our fulfillment, and our power comes from him. For us to be effective... We have to find ourselves in him. And it's actually really valuable sometimes to come to him and say, in my weakness, you are strong. One of my biggest challenges, and and some of you would know a little bit of the story, but a couple of years ago, I I stepped down from eldership responsibilities for about an 18-month period. um, Because of problems at home. My daughter was Getting out of control. We thought it was rebellion. She was being rebellious, but the root of it was actually uh, anxiety. She was refusing to go to school. Like locking herself in a room. It got so bad. I was I took her bedroom door off its hinges so she couldn't lock herself in a room. My my wife was battling depression and panic attacks, and and so our marriage came under stress, and my my daughter wanted nothing to do with me. I'm like. This disqualifies me from eldership. I've, I've got I've to put that aside and work on my first congregation. I've got to work on, on the people. But it was soul destroying because everywhere else I went, people thought I was amazing. Here's Mike Davies, the great preacher. Here's Mike Davies, the elder. And at home, I was a loser. And I remember crying out to God and saying, God, I'm supposed to have a leadership gift. I can't even lead my dogs at the moment. It's like nobody will listen to me at all." And even in that, I realized even this so-called leadership gift, it can't do anything outside the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I was doing, I was applying every leadership principle that I knew and it was making things worse. I didn't know why, and later I found out why. And I'll let you into a secret because this is this was a Holy Spirit moment. We were in a conversation. We were doing a marriage counselling course, and we were in a conversation, and the Holy Spirit just illuminated something. Boom, where Chantelle had been battling to express where she'd say, "I don't feel like you love me," and I said, "What do you mean, I do It's like, we've been through, and then she goes, no, I know you love me, but it was like this contradiction, and it's like, we couldn't get to the heart of it, and then the Holy Spirit illuminated it, and it was, she felt that I didn't need her, and suddenly, this light came on, because I've been applying all these amazing uh, leadership principles to protect my wife, you know, I'm the head of the home, so I'm going to protect my wife, so it was, you know, um, I'm... When we had financial stress, I would protect her and not tell her because she couldn't cope with it. And when I was going to Brazil, the the thought of going staying in somebody's house was too much for her, so she wouldn't come. So I stopped asking her because I didn't want to put her under pressure. Okay, so I'm being a good husband, I think, applying principles. But what does my wife think when I stop asking her to come with me on an outreach? When I stop including her in my stresses? when I stop communicating to her about the duress I'm under and the challenges I'm facing, I think I'm protecting her. But what she sees is a reinforcement of, I can do this thing alone. And so all of the principles, I remember sitting with somebody very well-meaning and he said, Mike, um, have you found out what your wife's love language is? And just like, love her that way. And I went, I've tried every love language that there is, and some that haven't even been invented yet. <laughs> and it doesn't work, because a principle without the power doesn't work. Principle without an established relationship doesn't work. So I would use words of affirmation, and she'd say, no, you just, you're just saying what you think you have to say. And then I'd buy her a gift, and she'd go, no, 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 you, you, you're just trying to bribe me. And then I try and spend time with her, you know, and she goes, No, no, you're only spending time with me because you feel guilty. Because she, she didn't have that assurance. And it took the Holy Spirit breaking through for there to be life. And one of the things we do, and this is, this is again around the issue of rest, we very quickly become professional Christians, applying all the principles. You know, it would be possible for me to lead a church these days without the Holy Spirit. And it would look quite successful to most people for a long time. Because I know the principles. I know how to lead. But there would be a lack of life. And when we get into that, and sometimes we get into that because of busyness and tiredness, you know, muscle memory kicks in, you know, when when you just start getting into... The routine, and the things that we must do, even going to community. Come on, how many of you have, have gone to community just because it's the routine thing to do? And that's not a wrong thing. There's a, there's an element of self discipline, but in that self discipline, it's do I find life here? Do I find Jesus here? And that's where we find rest. So one of the one of the cautions I've I've given to a number of elders recently is, elders. Say, Elders are saying this to their, their congregations. We know you've been working hard and you're tired, so we're giving you a break. Uh, we're going to cancel communities, right? But they communicate it in such a way like communities are just hard work for you. Yeah? Communities should be a place of life. I should be there because it refreshes me, it restores me, it encourages me. This should not be a chore. This should be a privilege. But we forget that and, and we... You know, we get disconnected from the river of life so easily. And when we get disconnected from the river of life, we start doing the things out of duty, out of principle. And what I want to encourage you as we have this season of, of rest and holidays, you know, going and spending time with family, I find often isn't restful. I love them dearly, but they're a pain in the backside sometimes. I come back and need a holiday. And wherever you are, whether you, you, you lay on a beach or, or you, you're going skydiving or, or you, whatever it is, the key is to find Jesus in those places because he's the only one who can truly restore your soul. If your tank is empty, like my, tank, my, my, my fuel light came on as I was on here. I was like checking how many kilometers and... <sighs> because I didn't want to fill up on the way here because we were running a bit late. I can now rest my car for six months and and just leave it there. That tank is not going to get filled. Six months from now, get in the car, switch on the engine, the petrol is still going to be low. I need to fill it up again. And I want to encourage you in your times of rest. And that's Jesus, in that situation where I stepped down from eldership, um, things didn't get better immediately. In fact, they got worse for a while. Because my wife, who was battling anxiety and depression and panic attacks, suddenly went, Wait a minute, now you're not going to Brazil, now you're not looking after those churches, they're suffering, and, and Josh Jenny's suffering, and it's all because of me. And she was just add condemnation and guilt to the package, right? We, we had to navigate that. And we're through that in many ways, and we, um, she's doing really well, but we still have to navigate that almost every day. Because otherwise we both get into old habits that are unhelpful. But I remember one night, and I, I hope this is a word of encouragement to you, one night after we'd, we'd been through this around the same mountain about six times, uh, issues around disciplining the children and like, I had to bring correction to her and she agreed and then she'd do something wrong and I'd bring correction and she agreed and all. And then we had this big blowout with the kids and she took the kids' side instead of mine and it was just like, I was so mad. I know, I know you probably think I'm just like Jesus, but <laughs> I was so angry. And I didn't storm out, I didn't leave them, but I said, I've got to get out of here. You know, it's like, Better better I blow my top somewhere else than here. And I got in the car and I drove to the beach. And I was sat in my car at the beach. I said, God, this is never going to come right. I've tried everything I know. And there is no hope. And as I said that, he took me to scripture. And he took me to the story of Abraham. And Paul writes about Abraham, that he hoped against hope, which is a strange, in, in English it sounds strange, but literally that, what that means is when everything was hopeless, he still hoped. He hoped in a hopeless situation, and he took me to that. He said, are you will," And I said, okay, Lord, I don't even have faith that things are going to improve, but I'll hold on to hope. Because if I have no hope, then there is no hope. And whether it's relational challenges, marriage challenges, financial challenges, health challenges. You know, people cry out to God and then often come to this point of, hey, there's no hope. And there is always hope. And we've got to lay hold of hope. and, And seasons of rest are often necessary for us to come back to that place and find our hope in Jesus. Find that filling up of faith in Jesus. Finding that restoration in Jesus. Filling the spiritual hunger in Jesus. I've been saved 50 years now. The first time I preached was 40 years ago as a teenager. I did... Years of kids' church ministry, years of youth leadership. I've led communities, I've led congregations, I've worked apostolically across the nations. And none of it has been because of how strong, powerful, gifted I am. It's been willing to follow Jesus. And if we're willing to follow Jesus, then we've got to trust that the Lord is our shepherd and he leads us beside still waters. He leads us to green pastures. He may lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, but we need to follow the shepherd because he knows what's best for us. And sheep don't know what's best for them. You know, years ago, A few years ago, and this is not apocryphal, this is a true story, I verified it and checked it. Um, About eight years ago in Turkey, there was a large uh, flock of sheep being looked after by a few shepherds from the village, and the shepherds stopped to have lunch, and they must have got so engrossed in their conversation with each other that they stopped looking at the sheep. And one of the sheep wandered towards the edge of a cliff and walked straight over the edge of the cliff. And then the next sheep followed it and went over the edge of a cliff. And the next sheep, and the next sheep, something like 800 sheep walked off that cliff. And about 500 died. The rest had a soft landing. <laughs> a true story. And the moral of the story is if the shepherd isn't leading, the, peop- the sheep will follow other sheep. We will, follow, we will follow anything. We're stupid. Make sure you're following the shepherd because it's so easy to find yourself following sheep. And over this time, I, honestly, it's not just, hey, have a nice December. I think it is so critical that over this time, we don't divorce ourselves from church and we don't divorce ourselves from Jesus. But this is an amazing opportune time where most of us, I know some people will be working, but most of us have more time, more resources, more capacity to find and hear the voice of Jesus. And when it comes to resting, that would be my number one encouragement. Because sometimes rest can be counterproductive. Did you know that? When we get stressed, anybody been stressed this year? <laughs> anybody at all? What a, what a shock. There are various stress responses, but a, the most common stress re, uh, response is avoidance. Right, We avoid the issues. And there's many ways we avoid the issues, right? One is we sit in front of Netflix instead of doing the work we need to do because like, I can't cope with what I'm doing, so... Another night of watching Netflix isn't going to make it any worse. You know, it's an impossible situation. Or we, 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 instead of doing what we need to do, we do what we prefer to do. We, we avoid actually dealing with the issue because it's just too much. Is it, does that make sense to anybody? And so we're getting more and more stressed because we're not dealing with the issue. It's like we're holding a weight. And it's not how heavy the weight is. It's how long you can carry it. This isn't particularly heavy. But if I had to hold it at arm's length for an hour it would start feeling very heavy. And so we're, we're carrying this stress and we're not dealing with it and we're not dealing with it and, and then well-meaning people come to us, like, oh, you look so stressed, what you need is a holiday. And you may need a holiday, but if your holidays go away and ignore what's stressing you for another two weeks, you're not going to rest and you're not going to come back in a better situation, you're going to come back worse. Does that make sense? So sometimes taking a break is simply continuing our avoidance behaviour. You know, when when my wife and I were struggling, people, why don't you go away together? It's like, are you kidding? (laughs) It wasn't our workload. It wasn't our location. It was other things. And so what I'm saying to you is, don't go away and do nothing. That might not help you. If you're physically tired, take some physical rest. But actually what you need is recreation. Recreation. And recreation literally means to recreate yourself, to be restored, to fill your tank. If you've been working hard, one of the things I've realized, I, I realized many years ago, sometimes when I go to Brazil, I go for three weeks. My kids don't care anymore, the teenagers. It's like, whatever, dad. But <laughs> When they were little, it's like, they did miss me. So I made sure that when I got back, and it wasn't leave, said I'm going to, build into my diary time with my family right because I have to fill, I have to fill their tanks for them to get through the next season so what I'm saying is what fills your tanks find what fills your tanks and the number one thing is Jesus but the other thing about this season is for many of us it's a time of family friends it's social it's But for many, it's a very lonely time. And we say, oh, go away and have a wonderful Christmas. And they're dreading Christmas. Because without community and without church, they have nobody. And one of the ways we can fill our love tank, actually, is by bringing other people in. And it's amazing sometimes. Jesus said it's better to give than receive. Be wise with this, but it may well be the most refreshing thing you could do this Christmas is to include somebody who's got nowhere else to go and watch the joy of family in other people's eyes. When we say we're closing communities down, we're not closing down the concept of community. We're saying there's no official meetings. You are not banned from meeting together and enjoying one another. But enjoy one another with Jesus at the center. Because next year, he's going to ask lots of us to do lots of things. And it's going to be beyond us. It's going to be beyond our ability and our capacity. But if we give him our willingness, if we give him our nothing, he can use us. And he takes the very little. Like People look at me sometimes, like, oh, Mike, you've got, you know, you Look what God's doing through you, whatever. If if I am gifted, it is only because when he gave me one talent, I invested it. And he gave me more. And I invested it. And he gave me more and I invested it. I'm not here because I'm gifted. I'm here because I was willing. Are you willing to follow the shepherd? Are you willing to follow him through the valleys of the shadow of death? Are you willing, some people are willing to go through the valley of shadow of death and are unwilling to lie down in green pastures. Some of you have a problem lying down. My father-in-law is one of these, he's like, you know, the Taipei personality. He can't take a break. He has to be doing something. And that's okay if it restores his soul, but are we responding to Jesus? Because we don't have a secular life and a spiritual life. We have a life over which Jesus should be in control and he knows what's best for us so take a break, spend time with Jesus, allow him to fill up your tank, restore you refresh you, take yourself in for your 15,000 kilometer service let him check under the hood maybe he needs to just tighten up a few things maybe he needs to replace a few worn out parts Maybe, needs an, maybe you need an oil change. But use this time wisely. For your sake and the sake of the kingdom. Because there are great things for you to do in the year ahead. And please learn from me. Even when you think you can't. Even when you think you're an appendix. Even when you think you're the worst comm leader in Josh Jen. Never stop putting your hand up and saying... Here am I. Send me. I'm willing. That's the kind of people that we need. It's the kind of God, people that God is looking for. It's the kind of people that are filled with Holy Spirit power to do that which He calls us to do. And you know, we don't burn out when we're in obedience to Jesus, we get tired. But if Jesus understood the principle of taking himself into quiet places occasionally. We do not burn out when we follow Jesus, when we're following the shepherd. And I encourage you to be a people who follow the shepherd, wherever he leads. Amen.